Welcome to Season 1, Episode 40 of Digital Dissection, where we take a closer and possibly unnecessary look at our favorite properties. Today we sit down with star of The Room and author of the disaster artist Greg Sestero. This exclusive interview explores his career, future projects, some fun experiences along the way, and his relationship with Tommy Wiseau. Before we decide if we're fed up with this world and decorate our one-bedroom apartment with pictures of spoons, we are Chelsea, Joe, and Mark, three friends that are channeling our inner Tennessee Williams and bringing our love for our favorite properties directly to your ears. And if somehow you made it here by accident after crossing the Golden Gate Bridge, why not try looking for us on all major podcast platforms by typing in Digital Dissection, a nerd podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our blog. If you like the show, leave us a review or tell us what you think by emailing digitaldissectionpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome back, fellow nerds, to Digital Dissection. Today, we're sitting down with an incredibly talented individual who starred in the Tommy Wiseau cult classic, The Room. He would go on to write The Disaster Artist, the New York Times bestseller that chronicles the journey of this film and his part in it. It would also be a film of the same name, becoming nominated for an Academy Award. Years later, he would write and star in Best Friends, reuniting with Tommy Wiseau and showcasing a brilliant combination of nuance and excellent storytelling. He's also the writer, director, and star of Miracle Valley, coming to theaters next year. We welcome to the show, and I'm almost about to giggle about it, Greg Sestero. How are we doing? <laughs> I'm very good, man. How are you? Uh, I'm I'm kind of on cloud nine right now, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I know that Chelsea and I are big fans. Joe is a big fan as well. Uh, yeah. Joe is our third co-host. He couldn't be here today, unfortunately. Um, but uh, yeah, we're absolutely excited to get going. I, I hear you've got a pretty busy schedule right now, though. Yeah, so um, obviously it's been a crazy 18 months. I'm very thankful that I had something to work on during these 18 yeah. months. We, we finished filming uh, Miracle Valley, the new horror thriller film that I made just as the pandemic was starting. Literally had our hard drives shipped to our editor in an Uber during like lockdown. Oh, oh wow. wow. <laughs> I, was on, I was living on this ranch in Arizona where we filmed and I rented the place thinking all I would need for, for that place would be to film. And then the pandemic happened. I'm like, shit, now I'm going to hide out where I filmed. And so I was literally living there during the pandemic. So that kept me, um, kept me sane to have something to look forward to every week and working on the edit. And uh, yeah. now we're able to take it out to festivals. October, Halloween's my favorite holiday. And yes. it's been great to get out there and, and, and reconnect with fans and show them something new. It's, and it's fun that there's nothing really out there about it. Like there's no trailer. There's, it's just, you're yeah. just sitting them down and showing them something totally new. And I think the cinematic experience is something we need to keep. And, I, and, I'm, and I've been glad to, to do my part in it. Yeah. And that's, it's, I like that you, you said the cinematic experience because that's, that's actually how I first met you was when you and Tom, I think it's the love is blind tour that you were doing. Right. Uh, so you would take the room, right? In, in, in Milwaukee, right? Or was that where it was? Yeah. Yeah. When you came through Milwaukee, that's, yeah. that's where I first met you. Uh, my, my brother and I decided, uh, I wouldn't say last minute, but we, we were like looking at it going, we know the movie. We really want to go, you know, see what's going on and, and meet you and Tommy, of course. 
So we, we head down there and uh, I actually had a story from, from that day that I didn't know if you'd remember, but I'm going to tell it. <laughs> um, so, okay. So folks, you can't see this cause this isn't an, an audio show, of course, but Greg can see this. Chelsea can see this. And I'm going to show <laughs> this little doggy plush uh, based off of the, the dog from the flower shop in, in the room. Um, I'm not going to play the, uh, the little sound bite that it does. It's very loud as Greg probably knows. You know, you know who did the sound bite, right? Uh, I I was going to ask you that specifically. Take a wild guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing it was Tommy in a phone booth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, the story that I had to share from that, because uh, this is what kind of cemented me as like a Greg Sestero super fan, was when I bought that plush, it, it didn't actually, you know, work at first. And and so I was pressing the button on it. And you actually tapped me on the shoulder <laughs> and said, hey, you want me to help you with that? Yeah. And, and of course, I'm like looking at you and I go, what's the catch? I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is this is Greg. I go, uh, yeah, sure. And so this is before the meet and greet before my brother and I uh, got to actually like chat with you guys. And so here you are, you're, like you're fixing the plush for me. And it's worked ever since you did that. <laughs> You gotta put a little like stick out, and Tommy's like it's, it's it's very awkward because you have to pull you know out of something, and it's like you're yeah. playing dogs like butt, and it's just like <laughs> <laughs> I loved it though because it's so bizarre and it just fits like the whole the whole shtick. So yeah, well let me say this: you both you and Tommy made made my life that night because <laughs> after that when we went to go talk with you before the show. Um, you're both signing stuff for us. And of course, you have to ask what our names are. So I say, well, my name's Mark. And you guys both went, oh, hi, Mark. And I, <laughs> I, I like, if you just buried me right there, I would be fine. Life, life was good. No, I love that. Yeah. No, I remember Milwaukee. That was um, tw like September of 2012. It, I was going to say, it's it was a few years ago. Yeah. yeah. That's when I was like working on the uh, second edit of the book, actually. Yeah. So awesome. Yeah. No, I really enjoyed that. That theater was great, and that experience, that whole experience, was really fun. Yeah, I, I didn't know if you were, if you remembered a couple of overweight Filipino guys just, <laughs> you know, having the time of their lives. But we, we absolutely enjoyed that show, and I, I did want to ask you about that experience, though, and how long you were involved with, with doing that, because obviously with the, you know, with the, the pandemic, you can't, but. I guess when did you come in on the the Love Is Blind tour, and did you did you do all those shows, or did you come in and out at certain times? So Tommy invited me to go to a, a screening in uh, Boston at the Coolidge Theater, and um, that's where I kind of got the idea to do the book because um, there was just so much you know passion and so many questions about the movie and the making of the movie, and I thought it'd be really interesting for people to know that we knew each other four years before the room, and we were roommates, and we were like you know, conspirators and friends on, on this whole journey. And I thought, you know, the making of the movie is something that I thought would be a really interesting story. And I immediately thought the making of the movie should become a movie, you know, yeah. and I've always kind of had that idea of, of trying to write a story and have it become a movie. And I did that when I was 12, when I saw the movie home alone. And I thought, you know what? I don't want to be in school right now. I'd rather be in Disney world and I'd rather be living in the home alone universe. <laughs> so I wrote a script and uh, pitched it to John Hughes and, and all that. And I got a letter back and I was 12. And so I was thinking, hey, now with The Room, why don't I take the same philosophy and try to write a story and have it become a film? So, um, 
you know, that's when I really came on with the Love is Blind tour because I thought this is a great chance to write this book while I'm with Tommy and bring back all those memories. That's awesome because uh, in, in interviews in, in the past, you've mentioned when you guys filmed The Room, this was a movie that you didn't really think people would see. You know, it's like it's it's part of my my history, right? But, you know, it's likely not going to be in front of a lot of folks. And you've kind of gone through this journey of acceptance with with The Room and and uh, I, I was interested about when the turning point really occurred, if it was part of meeting fans for you, like when you, you know, when, when you kind of looked at it a little bit differently right through the years. I mean, when did that really happen for you? So, yeah, it came out 2003. It didn't really start picking up like steam with film students in L.A. until 2004, 2005. And it kind of stuck around in 2006. And I thought it was a really funny deal that people really like this movie. I thought how mm -hmm. ironic and I thought I was happy for Tommy. And, and then um, it wasn't until like 2009, 2010 that that Entertainment Weekly article came out that really talked about the celebrity fans and yeah. participation. So I was always fascinated by it. I, you know, I didn't really attend screenings much um, mm -hmm. in those days. Um, but it was interesting because I'd been modeling and doing all these all this work overseas. And then all of a sudden the room became this like phenomenon. And I thought this is this is such great timing because i was like so over what i was doing and I, I mean i wanted to make movies i wanted to get into acting and then all of a sudden this thing that i had done six years earlier is all of a sudden something people are talking about and i thought maybe this is a second chance at uh you know trying to get into acting so um it was really a, a unique gift and i always i was never it's never something i was embarrassed of i mean it wasn't a movie yeah. i'd ever show people but i was always fascinated by the story and the film and people's response to it yeah. Yeah. I mean, the response has been absolutely amazing across the globe. It's not just unique to San Francisco or anything like that. I mean, uh, you, you guys have been in London showing it. I mean, I've I've seen you guys globetrotting with it. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it's pretty amazing uh, how many folks like it. Uh, and and I think that spread you mentioned uh, was like six pages, wasn't it? Like they they really went nuts. Yeah, I thought it was story. Be like a blurb and I couldn't believe like the response to that article and just how much the room had grown in like the three years I'd been away from it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this actually kind of takes us into our, our first fan question for you. Uh, Cause we, we did ask for fans of Greg Sestero to help us out with today. And this does kind of lead into uh, the room mostly uh, towards some of how the financing worked out. Um, if, if Chelsea, if you want to take us into fan question number one. Yes. Yeah, so our first fan question, does Tommy, does Tommy's warehouse really include jeans? And if you don't know, what do you think is actually in there? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's been a big retail guy since the eighties. So he's got jeans, he's got belts, he's got dogs. Um, like, do, like dogs, like real dogs, plush no, like doggies, but oh, oh, so, yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, no, he basically produces everything. Um, and so his warehouse is filled with with merchandise that you can get at TommyWiseau.com. And, um, you know, he's somebody who is always at it. He's always trying to create stuff, um, you know, and that's what I've known since I've met him. Now, I don't know how all the other stuff came in the 80s, how we got the buildings, how we got all that. But, yeah. you know, it's sort of like trying to solve the Zodiac, uh, <laughs> the Zodiac murder case. You just you never know. You find a clue and then you have more questions. So I kind of think <laughs> the room going is we don't quite have the answers and who knows if we will i mean I, i've i've seen through the years obviously this is you know tommy's 
he's got obviously some things he wants to be private about. And, you know, a lot of us aren't really concerned with going down that path, but I, I've seen some web sleuths start to look into it a bit. And it's interesting. Just you start pulling on that thread and what you find out. But, but uh, to your point about the disaster artist and, and finding the, uh, the, you know, the motivation and the interest and in, in writing that, um, as part of your creative process, I was curious about if you went back to any of the other actors who were involved and and what the process was like in, in getting that off the ground. So, yeah, I mean, I thought, hey, I'm going to write a book that's going to become a movie and that's going to be the great challenge of being in something they consider that's so bad. Telling a story that's so good that then becomes a so good movie. I thought that's uh, hey, I should I should get into Tommy mode and think think the impossible. But no, I interviewed everybody involved with the film that would talk to me. I had all the behind the scenes footage that I would review. I treated this as something I was, you know, again, it, it was something I was really passionate to be a part of. It was going to represent me. And um, and I really wanted to tell the story of, of not only the making of a, a crazy movie, but what it's like to, to try to be a creative person and, and try to go out against the odds and succeed at something you really want to do, even though everyone's telling you no and you can't do it. You know, mm -hmm. and in Tommy's perspective, even someone who looks like a vampire but believes they can be a leading man. I mean, I think it was it was it went way beyond just the room to me. And I wanted to yeah. expand whatever this was into a much larger world. And and therefore I had to tell a story that was universal and it was a big challenge. But um I knew it was something that was gonna define me and and, and I just put everything I had into it for like three years. And an incredible journey too. I mean, you mentioned uh, how you listen to the recordings as, as Tommy liked to record everything, whether it was known to you or not. Uh, the Just him in the car by himself talking about Hollywood and how he felt towards, you know, the barriers in front of him. And and uh, I, I actually found that story touching as well because I, I remember you mentioning that, how um, it really did help you view Tommy in a different light. Uh, once once that happened. And you also hand that over uh, to the folks producing the room too, right? Or the, uh, sorry, the disaster artist. You had them listen to the recordings too, didn't you? Yeah, I, um, no, those were really uh, touching in a lot of ways and really interesting because he would always say, you know, I really have something and I'm going to do it and I'm going to prove that I have something. And it was like very empowering to hear that. Um, and so I had a few of these anecdotes and so I shared them, shared them privately with, with James Franco as he was preparing for the part. And mm -hmm. he told me it was the greatest gift he received as an actor because you're getting to listen to the private moments of somebody not knowing that it's ever going to be heard. But that was supposed mm -hmm. to be kind of a secret. And then so when Tommy's like, my God, where are you get secret tapes? You know, so it became kind of like a, a thing where I was like, oh, no. But um but no, it was, a, it was a great gift, I think, for, for an actor to be able to listen to those. And it was really important for me when I was writing the book to get to know somebody in their private moments as well. Well, we would like to to analyze a little bit about maybe the private thoughts of Tommy and, and, and you specifically, because we understand uh, some of the conversations have continued. But I'll let Chelsea ask the, uh, the question, because this came from our fans as well. Yes, fan question number two. So you've mentioned that you talk to Tommy in conversations every day. Um, in previous interviews, what do you typically talk about if you can disclose? I mean, we talk about workout routines, vitamin supplements, um, you know, projects, traveling. You know, I, I taught him over the pandemic. I taught him how to do a kettlebell workout. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> collapse but uh <laughs> we know each other 23 years and it's it's one of those things where um 
you know, you guys are linked together and, and uh, we're so different in so many ways, but we both have a, a great passion uh, for life and film. Well, speaking of, of passions, I mean, we've talked about the disaster artist and, and your interest in writing, which carried into uh, Best Friends. You guys would reunite for, for the Best Friends movie. And I, I've had the chance to see this film and I couldn't believe just how, for one, how amazing like the cinematography was for the movie because you're really getting a feel for like the this West Coast large city environment that you're navigating as a you know as like a, as a homeless person essentially, right? And for one, I I loved the film. I loved how the characters were so well fleshed out. And I was interested about the the inspirations for that film and and where you picked it up. Yeah, I've always loved LA noir films and I and I was mm -hmm. a big fan of Drive and Breaking Bad and these movies through the years where I was touring with Tommy um, and I thought you know one day I'd love to make something new I'd love to try to dive into that and, and and make a film so when I was on set for the disaster artist a lot I really was inspired how much fun they were having how hard they were working and so once that was done I was like hey I'm gonna take a shot I'm gonna write a script see what happens and I most of it I did it for fun I thought this is yeah. a great challenge to tell a story and, and, and it's probably not going to happen. And then I pitched it to Tommy and Tommy was like, yeah, we can try to make new movie, but I'm sorry. I have one request. And I'm like, Oh great. Here we go. He's like, what about, what about if you and I are same height in the movies? Good idea. <laughs> so, um, and so I was like, yeah, sure. So we started filming um, a few scenes and put a trailer together and it started to feel exciting. And we went out and we actually made the film and, it was one of the greatest times of my life making that movie. We were in, in the desert, um, yeah. you know, in the thick of it, just telling the story. And I was like, this is what it's all about. You can't really control what, the way something's going to turn out, the way an audience is going to respond to it, but you can really enjoy the process of making it. And so it's great learning experience. And it was a great chance to, to make a movie in LA about LA, a city I'd had so many different experiences in so many highs and lows and, it was just great to be working again. And we didn't know where it was going to go at the time, but I knew we were making something unique that I think our fans would find genuine. And so we just pushed through and such a great feeling when we finished it, did festivals and got a chance to show it in 600 theaters um, in the U.S., got to show it around the world. And um, it was just, it was a really great experience. And I, I learned so much and had so much fun making it. Yeah, because I mean, your character doesn't really speak a word for the, I mean, the first like 15, 20 minutes of that film. <laughs> and and so for me, I was wondering if that was like a narrative choice to kind of let the city speak for itself and and uh, Tommy's character as, as this mortician. I mean, was that was that the decision that you chose to make or did this kind of happen just through the creative process? You know, let's let's kick it off this way kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, we started out filming the first week and 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 I didn't quite know where it was going to go. And all of a sudden my character had nothing to say and it was all internal and we just kind of just rolled with it and thought, Hey, let's see where this goes. Um, you know, sometimes there's a lot of dialogue you don't need. And I thought it was just a stronger choice if we oh, push this character to finally speak when he really had to. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was cool. I mean, I thought that was uh, a really brilliant choice because I, I lived out in California back in like the mid to late nineties and I have family that lives in LA. So when you explore some of these nooks and crannies of the city, I mean, you, you turn a corner and sometimes you feel like you're in a totally different zip code, you know, just because of that. And so when you meet Tommy for the first time and you're walking down this alley and you see the big spray painted mural on this garage door and everything, I mean, I thought that was just 
pinpointed LA, you know, it, oh. it happens around every turn. So very cool. Um, well, the, to revisit something you mentioned a few moments ago, I'm going to let, <laughs> I'm going to let Chelsea ask you another question here from the fans. Uh, yeah. so feel free to take it away. Question number three, and we've definitely touched on this a little bit, but it's fun to see that we have some fans that are doing a little bit of digging into your personal history here. So will we ever see Home Alone Lost in Disney yes. World make its way to production? <laughs> should. I mean, I, you know, that new Home Alone movie was announced and, you know, it's cool. People are making stuff, but I think Home Alone Lost in Disney World with myself and Macaulay Culkin and the yes. band. Be, would be so much fun and I wrote that at 12 I thought my pitch was what better way to have Dis you know, Disney World and Home Alone meet Disney World could market the film all these kids would want to go to Disney World and live out that character you could promote the rides um, you know and, and the whole climax happens at the big Typhoon Lagoon water park so <laughs> I thought it was a great, great way to promote it and a great way to live out the the dream you could decorate you know Disney World for Christmas so I really think it's it's an idea that that should be done I, I got to meet Macaulay Culkin in 2018 we did his podcast he loved the idea Tommy could even be the bandit um, I love it I love everything so, about this and I need it <laughs> reboots and all that stuff you got to bring like an original passion idea to something and that's what made home alone home alone yeah. was so great because it was such an original idea from you know the great john hughes and the, the amazing score by john williams and it was just this beautiful thing that came together it was authentic and you got to keep you know all these home alone movies later you still haven't recaptured what that one had so if you're yes. gonna do it you got to be bold and you got to it's got to come from a place of love and that's where i was coming from at 12 i was trying to tell the story of how much I love that movie and how much I love Disney World, but you know, I don't know. I guess I gotta make go make it myself at some point. <laughs> and we hope that you do. <laughs> yes, yes, we're in your corner on that one. And, Absolutely. And I, I do want to be selfish for a moment because you did mention to me that uh, part of your creative process here. We're gonna tap into it. So you you noticed I was wearing a Packers shirt, and you mentioned during the room, especially during the football scene, that you hid an Easter egg in there. And I, I was curious to know about that because it does involve the Packers. If you could elaborate on it for us. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge football fan growing up. I was a big Niners fan, Joe Montana. I mean, I lived and breathed football. I was in the thick of it during the Packers run in 95, 96. I didn't like the 49ers anymore because they traded away Joe Montana. So I became a yeah. huge far fan. They would always beat the Niners. And I'd always look at my dad and brother and just laugh. Um, and so Brett Favre was like my hero. And I love the way he throw. At that time, he was the guy. He was like the Patrick Mahomes of that time. Everybody loved him. He just had the arm. He had the swagger. And so I'd always imitate him the way he'd throw and just kind of was unorthodox, but it was so cool. And so uh, in uh, in the tuxedo football scene, I finally get a chance to throw the ball like 15 yards. And I do I did a Brett Favre like sidearm sling. <laughs> homage to, to him because that's that's who I'd always imitate when I throw the ball. So when I throw that sidearm pass to Denny and he catches it on the side, that's yeah. a straight homage, Brett Favre to Antonio Freeman from the mid nineties. So <laughs> that's awesome. I, I always wonder if Brett Favre had seen the room. Hopefully he was impressed by my throw. Yeah, he's gonna have to look back at it now, as as we all will. We're all gonna start freeze framing that scene and, and looking at your so. posture and and your release, and we'll see it now. <laughs> yeah, I got up to like 46 yards. That's the furthest I could throw a bomb. Um, I don't know. I think hands have a big thing to do with it. I know Favre can throw like a 65, 70 yard, but he's 
His hands are yeah. so big, it's harder. If you can't grip all the way around the ball, it's really hard to get it up past 50. But yeah. got it to run 46 during my uh, during my practice. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we absolutely wanted to get into Miracle Valley with you because we, you know, obviously it's coming out. You're doing some uh, private showings now with it. And uh, we've kind of labeled this section shouting into the Arizona desert, if you will, um, mostly because of experiences I had as a kid there. So I'd lived in Arizona a long time ago. Um, but yeah, the, you've you touched on a little bit of the origins of Miracle Valley. And uh, part of that involves, you know, photography. And I didn't know if you had any personal interests in photography or if you found that that inspiration from somewhere specific. Yeah, I've, I love photography. I mean, luckily, you know, we can take photos on our phone. Um, and I love traveling. So I'm always, you know, been around the world at this point. I still have to go to Thailand and the Maldive Islands and a few places. But um, one of my yeah. favorite things to do is, is capture the moment that I'm seeing. Like I was in Iceland at the waterfall and I just love capturing the light and the right time of day. And so that's a big passion of mine is to share those images. And so I took a, a tour of the um, Antelope Canyon in Arizona and I, and I found out that there's this one shot of light that came through the beam of the rocks and was sold for like the most a picture has ever been sold for. And mm -hmm. so when I was living in Arizona, writing the script, the, the town I was living in was, is one of the, the world-class spots for birding, bird watching. And so it was fascinating. All these people from all over the world would come down and they, they go bird watching and they pack lunches and spend all days trying to get like photos of these rare feathers and rare birds. And I was like, that's a really interesting thing. It kind of ties into my whole Hitchcock fascination and seventies horror. And I thought that's yeah. my, is he's the guy coming down looking to get rich and famous by getting a photo of a bird i mean you can't get more absurd than that so <laughs> I, uh, I dove into that and again i love photography i love nature and i thought what a perfect way what a perfect way to to throw that passion in yeah that's really cool because some of the the i mean there are some films where you hear about the origin stories and specifically like ghostbusters is one of those where uh, Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis, they locked themselves into a, a Martha's Vineyard bomb shelter to, you know, finish it up and clean it up. And, and, you know, your experience with Miracle Valley is almost that way living in Arizona during a pandemic. Um, since you've had, you know, different writing experiences here with different properties, how was the Arizona setting different compared to others that you used in that process to, uh, to write out a project? Um, I know for me, you know, Arizona is a place I had filmed that when we filmed at the end of best friends. So I loved it and I wanted to explore more of it. And I got to know people down there and got to be exposed to a lot more places like Lake Powell, Patagonia. So I really, when I living there was great when I was writing the script, cause I got to see what I had access to and I got to see where the scenes could actually take place. So it got me a lot more focused into what kind of story I wanted to tell. And um, the aesthetic there, the lighting, it's just, it gives the film a mood and a feel that you can't really get if you just shoot, you know, in a random location. Well, we, we know we, we don't want you to give away the entirety of the film because we, we want to watch it for ourselves one of these days. <laughs> but um, but the, the film does explore, you know, like cults and, and, and cult culture, if you will. And I didn't know if you picked a specific point in history that you drew inspiration from there. Um, I mean, what, what was that like kind of sourcing material for, you know, for this, this underground essentially that you're exploring? So 70s horror was always a big inspiration for me. You know, the original Halloween, the thing, Hills Have Eyes, Race with the Devil. Um, and I also love Terror in the Jungle, the Jim Jones story. Mm -hmm. 
the Manson cult. I mean, cults are just fascinating because it's like, at what point in life do you have to be to join one of those? And you know, and so the more I looked into it, the more I just found really fascinating stories. And I thought, um, you know, I studied these and each day I'd wake up and I'd watch a horror film and be like, well, why am I drawn to this film? What scene draws me in? And I tried to use that as inspiration to tell this story. And sure. uh, at the same time with 70s horror, what I love is you don't quite know what's coming. It's character based. It's over the top, but you play it totally straight. I mean, you're, you're seeing people be really sincere, be passionate about what they're doing, but the situation is so insane that you get a great mix of comedy and scares. And I think that's sort of the ultimate for me for horror is to give, give you guys something new and something fresh that you're not, you haven't seen a hundred times. Yeah. And that's what I think is when you, when you talk about like best friends, for example, that's, that's a movie where I watched it and I thought this doesn't feel like anything else I've really seen before. And, and so that's why I really enjoyed that film. And I think that's why we're looking forward to Miracle Valley, just to see you kind of go down these avenues um, it does lead us into our, our last fan question of the day here that I'll let Chelsea uh, take on here for us. Yes. Final fan question of the day. You mentioned potentially working with a UFO screenplay and a social thriller. Are there any genres that you really want to tap into as a writer that you haven't been able to touch on yet? Yeah. During the pandemic, I, uh, I got fascinated with UFO culture being in Arizona. There's a, it's a huge mm -hmm. there, a lot of abductions supposedly. Um, one of my favorite movies growing up that terrified the hell out of me was Fire in the Sky. Um, and I got to interview the real life guy who survived that. Um, and so I took a UFO night tour last summer, took a lot of notes and started to really dive in about what, um, you know, what it, what it all means. What, what does it mean to people? What do, um, why do people believe? Why do they not believe? And I studied a lot of case files, a lot of history about Roswell. I wrote this insane script about a UFO abduction, a story that I think, again, We'll do something very different for the genre, but at the same time, tie into things that I loved about the 80s and the 90s films. So, um, yeah, that's the thing I'm hoping to make next. I'm hoping to make it next year in um, White Sands, New Mexico. Um, cool. And uh, yeah, so I think that's going to be a really great time. And then also as a break while I was writing that script, I wrote this insane social thriller story about something I really went through a few years ago. Um, I wrote that in about seven days and um, I worked on it with my disaster artist editor, which she was like, did this really happen in real life, man? How do, how do you find these stories to happen to you in, in, in real life? So yeah, I got these two, two stories written and I'm hoping to make those next. Um, and just again, keep kind of following what I'm, what I'm drawn to. And just at the end of the day, my goal is to give you guys entertainment that is unique and fresh and, and, you know, keeps you questioning things. Yeah, that's Absolutely. awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, because uh, we, we've seen plenty of, you know, of creators that do kind of get into the same things that they're known for. And, and I mean, and your creative process, what I think has been really cool for folks to look out for is that um, in, in Best Friends, for example, you do make callbacks to the room, but like, we clearly know this isn't the room, right? Like you, you, you pay homage to it, we, we move on and we, we really get into some, some cool narrative choices. Um, so yeah, I, I really appreciate that from you, Greg, you know, knowing that, that this is really a core focus for you and a passion for you to do it that way. Um, and as we, as we wrap things up here today, we've, we've really enjoyed our time. We appreciate you working with us. Um, we like to offer the floor to you as well to either your fans or just to, to our listeners in general about what else you've got going on in your life and, and what's coming up for you next. 
Yeah. So I'm, I'm uh, again, I'm very thankful to everyone who's supported the room, disaster artists and best friends and everything we've done. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, going to be showing Miracle Valley at select cities around the country. Um, so if you're interested in, in seeing the new horror film, come out, support it. Um, and uh, I'll be doing that for the next few months. And then I will be making uh, the new UFO movie. And um, yeah, just uh, continuing to, to get out there. I'm going to be um, in Birmingham this Saturday. Um, and I'm also going to be in Tucson, Arizona on October 27th at the Loft Cinema. We're going to have a lot of the cast there who made Miracle Valley. It's Miracle Valley is a real place in Arizona and it's going to be fun to be there. So if you're in Arizona, come check out um, in Tucson, the October 27th at the Loft Cinema. And um, on social media, I'll update things I'm doing and uh, places I'll be, but I look forward to meeting you guys. Yeah. 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 If you make it back to Milwaukee anytime, definitely let us well, know. Or Oh, yeah, we'll yeah. be there. <laughs> I love back to Milwaukee for sure. Get the, is the Esquire or the Egyptians still open? You know, I actually don't know. Um, I, I moved a little bit further away from that area. Uh, this is actually be shortly after that, that experience. So um, I, I'm not sure, but I can always look it up for you. We can, we can do some research and, and yeah, send love, that over. I'd love to come back. So, well, quick question for you: Where where do the Packers end up this year? Uh, you know what? <laughs> I think what what it's really going to be uh, uh, predicated on here is what the defensive front four does, because people have complained about the secondary, you know, last year and this year. So, um, what I think is promising is that we do have some rookies in that that side of the field. And when folks talk about Kevin King, you mentioned how they kind of collapsed in the playoffs. Kevin King was a big part of that. Uh, he he's learning. Okay, he's still learning. Uh, you know, you've got Adrian Amos back there too, who you know came from the Bears. So there's a lot of experience in the secondary, and I'm one of the few fans that says I'm not actually concerned about that. Okay. For me, for me, it's all about the front four and making sure that they can get pressure that the rest of the field doesn't have to worry about. Because that's where that's where we struggle. We struggle when the front four can't do it, and then you have to sacrifice somebody in the secondary. And we're not the best man coverage team. There's only one or two people that do really well with man coverage on the Packers. The offense, it's always there. I'm not so much concerned with that. But that front four is where I think the focus is going to be. And I think they'll make the playoffs as far as what happens there. I'm not sure if it's going to be glorious or tragic. I'm not quite sure, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Hey, better that they they end better than because they seem to start fast and then kind of get into trouble later. So hopefully this will be a a flip season. Yeah, I do hope so. We've seen a lot of heartbreak in the championship games in in the last ten years. So yes, we have. The fans yeah. really, really, really they don't give up, and they would love to see them make it back There's to no the Super Bowl. So right there, you know. Yeah. So. Yep. Yeah. What do you think, though? What do you think is in, in store for the uh, the NFL? I think this probably year? this year it seems like it's going to be between the Rams and the Bucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They seem, like, they seem like the deepest, most consistent teams. So, but sometimes wild cards get in, and sometimes the Packers are better as the underdog. So, I yeah. agree with that. Absolutely, they tend sometimes to crumble when the odds are stacked in their favor. So, I agree with the underdog. Yeah. Yeah. The body language is what you got to look out for. Mm -hmm. Once, once the body language starts to tank for the Packers, so does the season. And uh, during that championship game last year, you saw it. You saw guys hanging their heads. It's like you're still in this game. Yeah, they just didn't seem like they wanted it. That's what I felt. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, tell you what, I know we went a little over time. I appreciate you working with us throughout, throughout all of this, Greg, the, uh, the only, and, and actually just thank you in general, because as a, as a fan and just enjoying what you do, this is a privilege and, and we can never understate just how much it is. So, um, one last thing I will ask you before we let you go, what do you think about the wallet chain that Tommy wears? Is it something that you ever thought of uh, donning yourself? It's like it's a little, a little eighties, but uh, I think he pulls it off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Greg. Well, Hey, I, once again, on behalf of Chelsea, myself and Joe who couldn't be here. Um, we really do thank you and wish you safe travels. And if there's right. ever anything we can help you with, Greg, definitely let, let us know. know. We'd Absolutely. love to have you back, man. Really would. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it, guys. Thank All you. Right. Awesome, Greg. Have Thank a good you. weekend. Yep. Yeah. Bye bye. Well, Joe, I'm sorry that you couldn't join us for this conversation with Greg Sestero. Uh, I understand that you, you actually had an accident beforehand, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, just, you know, the darndest thing, it was a cool day here in Wisconsin, and I thought, what better to make me not so cold than a nice old cup of hot chocolate? So I went down to a local barista, got a medium hot chocolate, specifically a medium, burnt the entire entirety of my mouth, couldn't say anything. Mm, my tongue was in a cast for two days straight. <laughs> You tell the best stories, Joe. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but what a great interview, though. Like, this was this was a great time listening to you and Chelsea and Greg talk about just, just you know, you think of, like, interesting Hollywood stories, and you, you get something like this, where an actor is basically coming off of probably the world's largest flop and making a career out of it. Not not just that, but I mean, there there's a couple things about this because you know I I know that I've made fun of the room before, or at least I did a lot mm -hmm. when I first saw it. But then after I I watched it and you know read the Disaster Artist and you know saw the film in theaters and I've obviously met Greg more than once. There's an appreciation for what's going on here, and and that's seeing the transformation from like Tommy thinking he made an Academy Award winning film. Mm -hmm. to uh, you know he him and greg both kind of you know maybe they shunned it for a little bit there you know mm -hmm. greg mentioned several times that he he thought he would never actually see this movie ever you know ever appear <laughs> mm -hmm. and and everyone involved shows this adoration for it now and i, and I think mm -hmm. that's the important thing is that yeah it's not it's not going to be uh well it might be in the smithsonian you never know you never know but, but yeah, yeah, they all, everyone involved had a great, you know, had a, uh, they're, they're all very gracious about it now. And, mm -hmm. and Greg has gone on to become an amazing writer since then. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, it's seeing his journey and, and hearing about his experiences mm -hmm. now, him and Tommy still talk every day. You know, the, these are, these are cool things that you just unfortunately don't get to hear about all the time. So very thankful yeah. for that. Absolutely, and I'm looking forward to watching Best Friends because I haven't seen this yet. So, listening to what inspired the film and just like the huge tone shift that he's had in his career to go into a horror movie, I'm really, really looking forward to ending my spooky season by watching this movie. 
Yeah, isn't that something? Going from a, a movie like The Room to now writing a thriller about, you know, uh, uh, about being in Arizona and, and, and cultists and all kinds of fun stuff. But we seriously can't thank Greg Sestero enough. Thank you so much for joining us. And as we mentioned during the interview, Greg Sestero does have Miracle Valley that will be in theaters next year. And stay on the lookout for some of his additional projects coming out. It sounds like he's got potentially a UFO story on the way and even a social thriller as well. So look forward to seeing the additional projects of Greg. And until next time, keep on dissecting. <laughs>